Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Welcome to Women's Bible Study. We are so excited that you decided to join us today. Today we start lesson one of a six-week series on Psalm 23, a shepherd's song, Lessons from the Desert. We're going to hear from our co-pastor, Pastor Ashley Wilkerson, here at Church for All Nations in Tacoma, Washington. Ladies, ladies, welcome. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We are starting our women's Bible study on the 23rd Psalm. And I've kind of unpacked, right, that this is something the Lord's had on my heart for years and years. And we're calling it a shepherd's song. Lessons from the desert of Psalm 23. And I got to say, 2020's kind of felt like a desert, hasn't it? Oh, man, such a desert, a desert of preparation is what my heart is hopeful concerning. But I'm so excited about this study. This is something, like I said, that's been on my heart for years, and the Lord's unpacking it in a brand new way in this season. So much of it I had written before, and the Lord's even unpacking that to me and transforming that to me. And the reason this passage specifically is so important to me is, well, I was raised in the South. Most of you know that because you've been with me for a while. And uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I grew up going to church, knew the Bible, knew Scripture. But if I'm really honest, I kind of felt like Scripture wasn't totally relevant to me for most of my life. Anybody ever dealt with that? You know, you read scripture and you're thinking, "Ah, not only do I not really know what this means, but eh, how does this even apply to me? And I knew it was important, but I didn't really know how to make it impact my life for today. And then if I'm even more honest, uh, there were parts of scripture that felt contradictory. Right? Like on the surface, you're like, wait, but it says this, but then it says this, and I don't really understand that. And there was a season in my life that I got to be mentored by a Messianic rabbi. And on the first interaction that I ever had with him, he taught a small group of us a lesson on the actual cultural context of Psalm 23. And I remember that day, that day in that first little snippet of that lesson, for the first time in my whole life, I started to really understand how scripture could impact me exactly where I am. And I started to understand that, yeah, scripture wasn't written in English, right? So when it's translated in English, sometimes we miss a few things and it wasn't necessarily written to Americans in that time. And so some of the cultural context really has to be unpacked for us to get the fullness of it. And when the Lord started to show those elements to me, literally scripture began to come alive and I couldn't get enough. And so I gotta say, friends, my prayer for all of you, my prayer for you at home is that this study will do exactly the same for you that you'll begin to understand not only that Scripture is so relevant for every single thing you're walking through, but that there's a depth, right? That when we dig down and we start to really understand what 
the person saying, right? How the Holy Spirit's speaking through that specific person in that specific time, in that specific context, with those specific words, right? That the Lord's speaking incredible things to us. And so that's my prayer for this study for all of us. And I know that you're joining with me and agreeing for that. But we're going to start at the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Psalm 23. And I know for some of you, you feel like the beginning is going to be verse 1, but it's not. (laughs) We're starting before verse 1. I love it. If you see in your scriptures, most of the versions will actually have a little description right before we jump into verse 1. It says, Psalm 23, a psalm of David. Now it says psalm, and we we say psalm 23. Now, I want you to understand that that word psalm literally means a song, right? Or a poem, right? Set to music, because that's what songs are, amen? Amen. But why does this matter, that it's a psalm of David? Well, it matters because who said it and where they said it matters, right? And let let me show you how much I see this in my own life. If... If my husband, if Pastor J.F., if he is in the middle of a very expensive jewelry store, yes, Lord, let it be so, (laughs) and he yells out, I need you, well, come on, I'm I'm coming, right? Like, (laughs) I will let you try whatever ring on my, right? Now, if my son, my six-year-old Fulton, Mm -hmm. is in the bathroom, And he yells out, I need you. That's the same phrase. Different person, different context. How many? Yeah, it means something real different. It's not gyms he's calling me for, okay? Yeah, very, very different. And so it matters who's saying it. And so I want to unpack for some of you that may not be as familiar with Scripture, I want to unpack a little bit of who David is. Because if you're like me, I see so much of myself Amen. in David. Yes. Uh, not necessarily the great parts, mm. right? <laughs> the flaws. Oh, yeah. So David, he was a lowly shepherd. And in that culture, that was the lowest of the lowest job, right? It was something children did or elderly women most of the time. I know in all of our Christmas plays, we have old men as shepherds. That was not typically the case unless they were very elderly men and could do nothing else in that culture. So you're talking about children or elderly women most of the time. So he was a lowly shepherd. He was the least of the family. Anybody come from an amazing family and you're like, yeah, I don't necessarily add up to the rest of the family, right? He was forgotten pretty often ignored, overlooked, he was dramatic, (laughs) emotional, his highs were high and his lows were low, yeah, he dealt with depression, anxiety, yeah, me too, yeah, me too, he dealt with all the things, he liked to run, from things sometimes. Anybody want to do that? Just run and hide. Sometimes I wish I could, right? And he screwed up a lot. He did. And 
And he, when he screwed up, he screwed up big. You know, dealt with lust, committed adultery, lied about it, murdered for it, all the things. And yet, and yet, when God talked about David, he called David a man after his heart. Look with me, Acts 13. I'm going to read out of the NASB. I love the way the NASB says it in this verse. Acts 13, verse 22. Scripture says, after he, this is talking about God, had removed him. He's talking about Saul. So Saul was a king who had turned his heart away from God. And so after the Lord removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king. Concerning whom... He, meaning God, also testified and said. So think about this for a second. God is giving a report about who David is. Knowing full well everything David has ever done and is ever going to do. And look at what God says about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Look at this. Who will do all my will. That is so encouraging to me, right? After the simple fact that God knew all that about David, and yet the Lord said, yeah, but David's going to do my will. He, He is after, he's hungering for me so much that, yeah, yeah, he's going to screw up. But guess what? God doesn't even say that out loud. He knows it, right? He's not reporting that about David. But he says, he's a man after my heart. And he's going to do what I beckon his heart to do. Amen. Amen. And I want you to, man, if you're watching at home right now, some of you, and maybe even in this room, we read scripture and we think about these individuals in scripture as being superhuman. Right? Oh, but they were perfect. They had it all. They had, you know, extra power that I couldn't pass. These were flawed humans. That God used continually. God loved using. I feel like God loves using the really screwed up ones the most. Right? Man, I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful. Literally. And so I want to encourage you. If God is saying this about David, what's he saying about you, Peggy? Come on. Come on. What's he saying about you at home? What is God saying about you? Some of you watching are thinking even now, man, there's no way God can save me. Yes, yes, he can. And maybe you said yes to Jesus and you are saved, you're going to heaven, and, but you're thinking, yeah, God saved me, but there's no way he can use me. And that's a lie of the enemy. Amen? And so I want to encourage you. My prayer, my hope, is that each and every one of you, everyone watching at home, you will begin to understand that not only does God have salvation for you, but that is the very beginning, friend. It is not the end. It is the beginning. And He is calling you to so much. And He can and He will use you. It's important that we understand these truths, these truths about our lives. And 
exactly what the Lord says about us, what He desires for us. And maybe some of you have heard um, individuals make this statement and they think they're quoting scripture, right? And they say, the truth will set you free. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? And yeah, that's kind of found in scripture, but not like that. And, and we've talked about this before. If you've been a part of women's Bible study before, I have two real pet peeves in my life, right? And we've talked about, let's see, one, Miss Denise, one is the toilet paper. <laughs> Friends, toilet paper in its original creation was meant to hang over the front. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Not from the back. You're, you're not to, to reach under. You are to reach over. Right? Amen. Amen. And, and I've, I've heard it said. This is the way you can remember. Let's see. Bangs are good. Mullet's bad. It's just, if you don't get anything else today, no. My second pet peeve, which is the real one, is when individuals take scripture out of context. Right? It's like, anybody remember MapQuest? Probably not. But we we used to look up directions and print out the directions and take them with us and have somebody with us that read them out. I am dating myself. Woo! Uh, I might have you delete that one now. It would be like us taking one directive and then wondering why we didn't arrive at our destination. That, that's the same thing. And so, so often when you hear people say, oh, Miss Peggy, the truth will set you free, right? No, no, no. That's, that's not true. If that were the case, we'd all be free. We wouldn't have any bondage because God himself is truth. He is truth. And so the existence of truth does not set us free. Because there are many of us, myself included, the Lord is still breaking chains off my life. The day he stops is the day that I see him face to face. Right? This is all a process. But I want to look at the actual passage that people are quoting when they say that. And I want to unpack it for you. And I know you're thinking, but wait, I thought this was the 23rd Psalm. Why are we going to John? We're going to go to John 8. Because I need for you to understand why it's important that we unpack these principles and that we let them resonate in our hearts. Now, let me set up the context. In John 8, Jesus is making very public claims about himself. And he's doing it to the Jewish people. And what's happening is people are separating into two camps. You've got one camp that thinks Jesus is a raging lunatic, right? He's lying, raging lunatic, don't believe anything he says. And then you have the Jews that believe that he is who he says he is. So those Jews already believe in Jesus, but look at what he says to them. John 8, verse 31, I'm reading out of the NIV. This is Jesus speaking. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, another translation says, maybe you want to write this in your Bible, when you get into my word, Amen. right? If you hold to my teaching, if you get into my word, if you hear what I have to say, and you don't just react on your emotions, 
You instead hold on to it, even when it doesn't feel like you should be holding on to it. You hold on to it. You do what I say, regardless of how you feel. Amen. Amen. Then you are really my disciples. Jesus said, great, you believe. I love that. You're saved. I got more for you. You want to be my disciple? You want to look like me? You want to follow me? You want to have everything that I am calling you to? Then hold to my teachings. Then, so that's the first part. You're believing. You're holding to his teaching. Then, verse 32, then you will know the truth. So that's the third part. So I love that he unpacks the fact that you're holding on to the teachings before you even understand. Because so many of us want the entire picture first, Lord. Make me understand it all and then I'll obey you. He's like, no, you obey me first and then you will begin to understand my spirit exactly how I'm wanting to work in and through you. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Amen. Amen. Now I want to think about that for a second because I don't want that to go over our heads. We believe. And we're saved. I believe scripture is very clear about that. We believe we're spending eternity with the Lord. He's paid for our sins. We are with him when we die. That's the beginning. Amen. Then... We hold to his teachings before we understand them, Mm -hmm. before we feel like doing it. Anybody have to do things the Lord says and you're like, oh, I don't feel like doing this, Lord. He said, do it. The more you do it, you'll start to feel like it. We don't base our decisions on our feelings. Amen. We'd all be in a real different place if we did. (laughs) Hold to my teachings. Then you'll be my disciple. Then you'll start to look like me. Then you'll start to have my mind instead of Ashley's, instead of Jackie's, right? You're going to have my mind. You'll have my automatic reactions, not not Denise's. My automatic reactions flowing through you, right? Then you'll start to understand the truth. You'll start to know the truth. Now I want to think about what, what that really means. You'll start to know that he loves you. You'll start to know that you know that his forgiveness is full and it's perfect. You'll start to know that you know that he accepts you even when you screw up. You'll start to know that you know, right? right. Then that truth will begin to set you free. The more you begin to walk in that truth, those chains start falling off. And I think what's so hard for people is they, be- they think, okay, Lord, I believe in you, but I still got all these chains. I still got all this bondage. And he's like, yeah, I know. This is the start, the start of the process, right? This is not the final process. This is the start. And then you start walking in the truth and the chains start falling. And I don't know about you, friends. I mean, maybe it happens this way for some people, but all the people I've interacted with, it is a process. It is not a boom, no more chains. No, it's a process of walking that out in the freedom. And friends, the Lord has such freedom for you. He has such freedom for you. And it is not a one-stop destination. It is a long-term journey. 
It's a journey that I'm still walking. Pastor Angie's still, we're all still walking out. Things that he wants to remove from our lives that don't look like him. Freedom that he wants us to walk in. So as you begin to hear some of these truths from this study, my encouragement to you is to hold on to them. Whether you feel like it or not whether you feel deserving or not, whether you feel worthy or not, you're holding on to, you're walking in them and you will wake up a year from now, two years from now, three years from now and you'll be like, oh, those chains, they're gone. Those chains that I had for so long that I thought, and he said, just hold on to what I say about you, what I did for you, what I have for you. They'll begin to walk off. Let's jump into scripture together. Psalm 23. We are going to crawl. Everybody say crawl. Crawl. Like military crawl. Through the 23rd Psalm. So the extent of what we are walking through today is not even the first whole verse. It's just the first part of the first verse. Scripture says, Psalm 23, verse 1a right? (laughs) A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm, The Lord is my shepherd. This is what David said. Emotional, maybe bipolar David, Mm -hmm. right? Like maybe. Said the Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. No one knew shepherds the way David knew shepherds. Because he had been a shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I have three points that I believe the Lord wants us to know today from just that passage of who he is, just our shepherd and what that means, the truths that it means for our lives here and now. Number one, the Lord is my shepherd shows us that God wants to be in your world. Man, that seems kind of simple, doesn't it, Pastor? Yeah, sometimes it's just as simple as that. He wants to be in your world. David understood better than anyone Mm -hmm. that to take on the role of shepherd Mm -hmm. meant that you were with sheep all the time. You were with your sheep. You smelled like your sheep, right? You smelled like the things your sheep were in. (laughs) You were ever present, ever responsible, ever with. And that's what we need to hear today. God is a God that wants nothing more than being with you. He wants to be with us with us. That's why one of Jesus's names was Emmanuel, God with us. How many of you know if you name your child something, knowing what that name means, there is intentionality there. God with us. Jesus himself came to earth to make a way for us to be with him. And what I wrote down in my notes, I love this. It's, I wrote, he is a God 
whose very definition of believing in him also articulates our belonging to him. Amen. The second you believe, yes. you're his. That's right. You're his friend. He wants in your world every single part of it. I was meditating this week on James 2, which might seem a little bit odd. James 2 verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. And what I want to say is the good shepherd, God who is our shepherd, doesn't just want us to believe that there is a God. He doesn't want us to even just believe that he is God. He wants us to have him as our God. Our God. It's personal. It's personal. There are people all around the world that know more about God than I do. So much more. They know he is God. But he's not their God. And that's a distinct difference. It's keeping God there and not allowing him in my world. And that changes everything. David didn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He said the Lord is my shepherd. And friends, so often that's the difference. That's the difference. The demons even believe that he is God. And so when I interact with people, and you know, I believe that God did da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, great. Is he yours? Right. Have you made him yours? It's that personal relationship. God wants to be in your world. Number two, the Lord is my shepherd shows us that God wants to be in the working through. He wants to be in our world, but he wants to be in the working through. Man, this is not an easy thing for most of us. If Anybody a perfectionist in here? Yeah, me too. It is a curse most of the time, right? And, and it's, that, it's that thing of, no, 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 God, I got to have everything perfect before I invite you into. Friends, I got to tell you, Pastor JF used to travel a lot more. I mean, especially during COVID, ain't nobody traveling. But... Uh, he used to travel to the Middle East back and forth tons. He was working in these amazing peace, peace initiatives, and it was so beautiful. But that left me as a mama at home with two babies, right, by myself. And I remember this one specific trip. I think he was in Lebanon. Both kids had a violent stomach flu. Violent. And Fulton was still nursing. And this may be TMI for any dudes watching, but... <laughs> Literally, I remember he would nurse and then puke it on me. And then I would hold Izzy as she's puking into a bucket and then choke back my own puke, right? And then, and then he would nurse more and then puke it on me again, right? And, and there was nobody to call. I don't have family that lives here in the Pacific Northwest. And there was nobody, right? And, and nobody, you, no sitter's going to come and help you. They don't want that. They're like, no, thank you. I'm busy. Yeah, exactly. But I got to tell you, and somebody needs to hear this today. In that moment, did I put my kids in a room and, and just lock them away and go, no, no, no. I pulled my babies into my bed with me. I pulled them closer. Was it gross? Yeah. Yeah. 
Did it stink? Yeah. Yeah. What did I do? I held them tighter. Yes. Closer. Yes. Right? That stuff was working out of their system, mm -hmm. out of their body. And I wasn't repulsed by them. Right. I wanted them closer to me. Yes. I held them tighter. And somebody needs to hear this. Psalm 34, 18 mm -hmm. says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Yes. When you are walking through things and you feel like, no, Lord, I got to I got to pull away from you. No, 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 no. This is when the shepherd pulls you closer. He draws you into his side, into his breast. He wants to hold you as you are working through those hard times, whether it's things in your life that you know he desires to work out. Or maybe it's things other people put on you that you're allowing to work out. He holds you closer. The Lord is my shepherd shows us that God wants to be in our world. God wants to be in that working through regardless of how gross, regardless of how messy, right? David knew how messy those sheep were, what they smelled like. What that required, man, the good shepherd wants to be in the working through. And the last point as I close, God wants to be in your wreckage. Yes. He wants to be in your wreckage. And man, this is something we can say and it's not something we receive very well. It's not. In later lessons, we're going to talk more about all the trouble that sheep would get into. Especially in that Middle Eastern desert, the shepherding parts of the Middle Eastern desert, so much trouble. There were prey, right? Yeah. There, were, they were, uh, there were predators that were after them consistently. There were all sorts of um, cliffs that were so dangerous, right? Rocky terrain. There were floods. We talked about that a lot. Thickets that they got caught in and stuck and unless the shepherd came and saved them. But you got to know that the shepherd not only understands that, but he gladly accepts the gig. Yeah. Knowing that. No, I'm all in. I'm all in. These are my sheep. So I grew up in a really small town in Georgia. And in small towns, because to me, Tacoma would be a very big city, at least then growing up in that tiny town. But we have this phenomenon that I don't know if it exists here, probably not that are called ambulance chasers. <laughs> Angie knows, she's like, oh, small town south. So there are people, right, really well-meaning, and they probably do it in the name of prayer, <laughs> right? Oh, I'm just praying for That hear or see an ambulance, it doesn't matter, all times at night, and they'll jump in their car and follow it just to see what happened, right? Not much to do where I grew up. <laughs> but I remember in high school, I had two friends that made some really bad decisions. And they were drinking, they were partying one night and decide to drive home in the middle of the night on those curvy backcountry roads, no street lights, no nothing. They end up in this horrific, horrific car crash 
that just involved them. And there was one of the ambulance chaser ladies that had heard the ambulance that night and she jumped in her car and, and drove to the site of the crash and she got out and she was looking at just the wreckage, wreckage everywhere. And when she peered in and saw one of my friends in that flipped upside down pickup truck, she recognized him. And in that moment, she called his mom, said, you gotta get here. He's been in an accident. I don't know how he is. You gotta get here. Here's, here's the street he's on. I, I'm gonna sit here beside him. The other young boy with him had already passed away and that was obvious. And, and I remember hearing them tell the story that she stayed beside him until that mom got to that car crash. And in that moment, that mom said, oh no, this is a mess. I don't want anything to do with that. No, no. Sometimes we think God would say, oh no, you were, you were doing something wrong, so I want to. Did that mama care no. that that boy? No, of course not. What did she do? She ran straight to that car. Yeah. She started pulling wreckage out around her baby boy. And she said, let me get to him. I need to get to my baby boy. And she held him and she said, baby, it's going to be okay. It didn't matter that he was 18, right? Baby, it's going to be okay. I don't care what you did. Everything's going to be all right. You're okay. I have you. I have you. I have you. Friends, if we as earthly parents, how much more? The God of the universe. He wants to be in our wreckage. In our wreckage. You feel like you have wrecked your life to a place that you can't possibly be saved or be used. And friend, I want to tell you that God himself is pulling back rubble to get to your heart. He is pulling back rubble, wanting to hold you in a way that you cannot possibly fathom because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He will fight through the wreckage just to get to you. You are who he wants. You are who he died for. He has so much more for you. You cannot fathom. And you think the wreckage or what you've caused would stop him? Are you kidding? He is God. And he says, no, no, no. I want to be in your wreckage. I want to pull that stuff off of you. I want to hold you in a way that you don't feel like you deserve. And I don't care whether you think you deserve it. I say you deserve it. I tell you your worth. I will be the one to speak over you exactly who I created you to be. And so today I want you to understand. You think your wreckage is so scary, especially since you caused it. That's nothing for our God. Yes. It's nothing for Him. And He wants to be in the middle of your wreckage today. Bow your heads. I want to pray with you. I want to read this passage over you as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Romans 5, 8 says, God Himself demonstrates His love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners in the middle of our wreckage on our very worst day doing the thing we couldn't possibly fathom anyone ever knowing in the middle of our wreckage Christ died for you he died for me in the middle of my mess he died for me he died for you and he has so much for you today I want to pray over you my prayer is that you will understand that the God of the universe who created it all who made you exactly the beautiful being that you are he wants to be your shepherd not somebody else's he's not just a shepherd he wants to be your shepherd and literally that means that he wants to be in your world every single facet of your world every part that even that you think he can't possibly use he wants to be in it all he wants to be involved in it all yeah he wants to save you but that's just the start he wants to transform every facet so that you look not only more like him but more like who he created you to be friends in his image he wants to be in your working through maybe you are walking through a season that you feel like is the dirtiest grossest things just working out of your body and you assume that this God needs you to do it before you come to him no no, no. he's pulling you closer he wants you closer so that he can work it through in and through you friends He's not scared. He's not scared of that mess. He knows all about it. All about it. And he wants to be in your wreckage. There's nothing you've done, friends, that's too bad. There's nothing someone else has done to you that's too bad that he can't rip that off and get to you. He wants you more than you can ever fathom. So, Lord, I just lift up every single, every single woman. And, and maybe there's men watching right now. Lord, that don't have that revelation of how you see them, of what you want to be in them, through them, for them. Lord, I just ask that you would begin to reveal that truth to them now. Lord, that as they begin to believe in you, God, that you would truly do exactly what John 8 says, that as they hear your teachings, Lord, that they would hold to them. Even when they don't feel like it, God, that they would hold to your teachings and begin to walk them out in a way that says, okay, I don't necessarily feel like I'm worthy of love yet. I don't feel like, God, that I deserve this yet, but I'm going to walk this out trusting you. I'm going to hold to those teachings. Lord, and as they do that, those chains will begin to fall. Those chains will begin to fall and they'll be able to walk in the freedom, God, that you have for them. Lord, I pray that over every individual watching right now. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. It literally is believing in Him. Trusting. It's an active trust, friends. An active trust. Trusting Him, not only with your forgiveness, the grace that He offers in paying for your sins, but trusting Him with your life. Because He has so much for you. 
so much more for you. We teach it all the time. He's calling us to life, but life more abundantly. That's, that's not more stuff. It's a bigger life. It's a bigger purpose than just what you thought you were living for, friends. That's abundant life, and He has it for you. Lord, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in every single individual, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. He loves you, friends. Can't wait to see you next week. We pray that the Lord ministered to you today through this teaching. Get online right now and make sure to register for a circle group and get connected with other women at cfan.church. See you next week. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.